Welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. Now, we were actually planning on filming this episode up in Edmonton, but literally on the day that we were going to go up was the same day that Edmonton and Calgary both got hit with the first major snowstorm of the year, so we weren't able to make it up. So we're filming it here in Calgary instead, but we do have a lot to talk about. There's been a lot of major developments in provincial politics and as you might be aware, there's been some major developments in international politics as well that are probably going to affect Alberta quite a bit. Plus, we have an announcement that we'd like to make. So stay tuned. It's time for the breakdown. To start this episode off, we wanted to update you on a couple of things that have been going on with the, the War Room or the Canadian Energy Centre. Some of you might remember a little while back, we did a series of pieces on the War Room where we illustrated the fact that the War Room was using taxpayer money to advertise conservative PACs and conservative action groups on the taxpayer's dime. Well, it turns out it doesn't look like that practice has necessarily stopped. As we talked about on Twitter a couple of little while back, uh, we were able to illustrate that the Warren was actually advertising in Ontario leading up to the Ontario federal by-election. Now, it's all really important to remember that the mandate of the war room, as Jason Kenney has described it, is to fight back against foreign interests that are trying to curtail Alberta energy production. So it's a real mystery, not only why they're pushing conservative PACs, but they're also pushing uh, conservative advertisements during the run-up to a federal election. We weren't able to determine whether or not the war room was actually registered as a third-party advertiser uh, in that election. We weren't able to find any record of it anyways. Uh, one of the other things that the worm has gotten in trouble for recently is with the recent Auditor General's report. The Auditor General had some very big concerns about how the war room does their business and particularly had concerns about sole sourced contracts. Now what sole sourced contracts are is if I'm a company and I want to buy a widget uh, the normal process would be that I would put out an RFP or a request for purchase and I would approach several different companies to make sure that I was getting the best deal and the best quality. A sole sourced contract is when I say, ah, I know a guy, I'm going to talk to him. And that's not a very effective way to do business and it's certainly not the best way to do business when you're conducting that business with taxpayer money. So yet again, the war room continues to be an embarrassment for Alberta and Albertans really aren't seeing any sort of return of, on, on investment in the taxpayer money that's funding the war room, I guess unless you're running a conservative candidate in an election. Now, another interesting piece that came out of the Auditor General's report had to do with AISH and the payment dates for AISH being changed. You might remember a few months back, uh, AISH payment dates were changed by uh, MLA and Minister of Community and Social Services, Rajan Sani, and she justified those changes by saying that she'd consulted with a few people, even though nobody in the AISH community was able to say that they'd been consulted. Those payment dates were changed from a few days before the end of the month to make sure that people had the opportunity to pay their bills and pay their rent on time to the first of the month. Now this caused a lot of problems for a lot of people on Aish and it created a lot of instability. But Rajan and the UCP stood by the fact that they had consulted uh, and they said that they were doing this in the best interests of Aish recipients. Well, as it turns out, that's not the case. There was speculation at the time that the whole reason why they did that change and when they did that change 
was merely so they could move several hundred million dollars out of the current budget into the next fiscal year. And that's exactly what the Auditor General confirmed in his report. And in fact, he condemned that move quite strongly because it did destabilize a lot of people on H, which creates a lot of different questions. First of all, why would they go ahead and do this sort of thing only for a temporary fiscal gain that obviously somebody was going to call them out on at some point? And secondly, why would they do that and no, do so knowing that they were putting so many people at risk and create so much instability? Because since then, we've seen a lot more problems with not only age payments, but the payment schedule. It seems like the best interests of the people that these ministers and MLAs are supposed to be serving isn't their number one priority. It's the public perception that they're just saving money and they don't seem to care who they hurt. The UCP government likes to say that Alberta is unique in the way that we do things, uh, and they also like to say that we're first in doing a lot of other things. Well, when it comes to waging a war against healthcare professionals during a pandemic, they're absolutely right. There is no other jurisdiction that is waging as much of a war on healthcare professionals and physicians as the UCP is right now. We saw a really unfortunate example of that just recently where the UCP announced that they were going to be cutting the equivalent of 11,000 positions positions uh, of currently public sector employees and moving them to the private sector. Now, they tried to justify this by saying uh, that they're going to be saving money by doing this and the private sector is going to be more efficient at doing things this way. But that begs a couple of really important questions because effectively what the UCP is saying by doing this change is A, they're not concerned with the fact that they're upending 11,000 people's lives during a pandemic, but they're also saying that they're not competent at running government business which is a very strange admission to make, to say that we're in charge of doing all the things and we're going to be making decisions in the best interest of Alberta, but we can't handle this small section of healthcare. care. Uh, we can't run it efficiently, so we're going to kick it off to somebody else. The other big concern with this change is that during a pandemic, these frontline healthcare workers are critical to fighting COVID. And it's very easy to say that because if you talk to anybody who works in healthcare, they will happily tell you that the biggest uh, advancement that has been made in medicine is sanitation. And most of the people that this government is choosing to cut are responsible for making sure that laundry is done. They're responsible for making, the making sure that rooms stay clean. And they're cutting all of these jobs and moving them to the private sector for no really clearly identifiable reason. That puts people at risk, that puts patients at risk, and Albertans just deserve better. Now, to be clear, sanitation is one of the most important jobs that can be done in a hospital, particularly when we're talking about infectious diseases, especially highly infectious diseases like COVID-19. It's making sure that the rooms are clean and that all of the materials are, are clean and sanitized. That makes a big difference in preventing the spread of diseases like this. So there is absolutely no question that the people that we're talking about, the 11,000 people who are going to be losing their jobs and hopefully transitioning to the private sector, are frontline healthcare workers. And yet, this is what one UCP MLA had to say about them. When you talk about 11,000, those are not frontline healthcare workers. Those are, those people like, they will be replaced. They will be replaced by the employer. Now, for those of you that aren't aware, that's UCP MLA Devinder Tour. And Devinder Tour has had no shortage of challenges of his own, particularly when it comes to, let's say, managing his own affairs. 
despair. As you might remember a few weeks back, we did a segment on Devinder Tour and his inability to manage something as simple as re-registering his website. So now, if you go to devindertour.ca, it goes to a very different website. Now, we can't take credit for that particular find, but we, we did find the other UCP websites that we did in another segment. But this is a guy who can't even manage his own website, and he's criticizing frontline healthcare workers who are at the pointy end of the spear for a lot of the stuff that's going on with COVID. To not recognize these people and the sacrifices that they've made and the risks that they take on a day-to-day -day basis and just dismiss them as not being frontline healthcare workers shows how little that Devinder Tour actually understands of how healthcare works, which begs the question, how does this guy and the UCP government, who clearly don't understand how healthcare actually work, get to make decisions of this magnitude where they're upending people's lives, creating extra stress for frontline healthcare workers during the time when they're fighting the COVID pandemic as well. This is not the level of competence that Albertans deserve, and it's certainly not the level of confidence that people should see from a UCP or any other MLA. In communication circles, Fridays are known as take out the trash days, and they're known for that because most people are looking forward to the weekend, and they're not really paying a whole lot of attention to the news cycle. That's probably why it was on Friday, November 6th, that the UCP announced that they were pursuing at least a 3% pay cut for provincial employees. Now, it's important to realize a couple of things. First of all, this is all happening again during a pandemic, Alberta is the only province that is waging a war on public sector employees during a pandemic when they are working, some of them, the hardest that they ever have in their entire lives. And we're seeing employees uh, leave the province because of that. We've certainly seen physicians publicly announcing that they're leaving the province because of the way that the UCP is approaching uh, not only employment, but negotiations with various different unions. Now, there's a lot of people that are saying, ah, this is just the proposal, it's still in the negotiation phase. And while that's technically correct, one need look no farther than the negotiation that occurred with physicians. Physicians went to the province and agreed to take a pay cut uh, on all of the fees for service that they do, and instead, the province said, no, we're going to do it our way and legislated what physicians were going to be paid. And they've given themselves the power to do that, which should be really, really alarming to anyone paying attention to what's going on. Because when the government can dictate how much anyone is getting paid at any given time without anyone having any say in it, that moves out of the realm of a democracy and to something else much darker entirely. There has been no shortage of conspiracy theories and ridiculous beliefs that have circulated because of COVID-19. Whether or not it's people who believe that wearing a mask decreases the available oxygen or can spontaneously cause asthma. These, these things have all been demonstrated to be 100% false. But there have been some really ridiculous things that have popped up, up to and including people interpreting an RFP request for purchase from the federal government to look into places to house people who uh, aren't able to stay with their family because of COVID or are homeless uh, and need somewhere safe to stay because of COVID. Uh, there have been people that have interpreted that to mean that the federal government is going to be setting up COVID concentration camps. Now on its face, Anybody should be able to look at this and go, well, that's absolutely ridiculous. But there's a lot of people who have a lot of distrust in government right now. And that's understandable given some of the things that we've seen from governments around the world. That being said, one would think 
that it would be the responsibility of those in government to do everything they can to make sure that as much accurate information is available to the public as possible. And yet, when somebody went onto UCP MLA Miranda Rosen's Facebook page and said, stop the COVID concentration camps, this was her response. So as you can clearly see, Miranda Rosen not only didn't say that that was not a true rumor, but she tried to say that it was something that could conceivably happen by the federal government. This is not only a complete lack of leadership, it's also extremely dangerous. We should be able to look to the provincial government to be providing us accurate information to manage the whole COVID situation. And when we're talking about the COVID situation, we're not just talking about the disease itself, we're talking about the effects of the disease. And failing to shut down fear-mongering like the kind that we saw with her Facebook page is a complete failure not only of leadership, but of her office. As much as we try to be among the first to demand better from people of elected office when they're not doing the job that Albertans or the people that they represent deserve, we are not above giving some props when it's appropriate. So we want to take a quick sec to give some props to City Councillor from Calgary, George Chahal. We've done a couple of segments already on the incredible damage that happened during the hailstorm in northeast Calgary this summer. And we've talked quite a bit about the fact that the provincial government has absolutely failed in almost every way to provide supports for the people in these affected communities. Now, there's been a lot of advocates that have come forward from these communities and they've put forward proposals that would not only not cost the province very much money, but it would also also give the communities affected increased stability. It would go a long way to preventing long-term health complications and will also go a long way to protecting the property values in these areas. And yet the province has refused to do anything except provide overland flooding coverage for a small number of houses that were affected. George Chahal and the city of Calgary have actually stepped up and they've done the right thing to the best of their abilities. What they've done is they've deferred property taxes for quite a ways to give people the opportunity to put the funds together, to cover the deductibles, to get the repairs done on their houses. Now, to be clear, this is a really, really good start, but it is not in any way comprehensive. And the people in Northeast Calgary who are affected by the hailstorm still need more help. And it is incumbent on the provincial government to provide that help. Why they haven't is a complete mystery uh, to just about everyone. But like I said, we do want to give props to George DeHall uh, and the City of Calgary Council for stepping forward and making sure that people are getting some supports when the UCP are just turning a blind eye. There's an interview that we've been working to bring you. The subject of that interview has both an extremely complicated and an extremely busy schedule, so we're extremely grateful that she was able to carve out a little bit of time to sit down and have a short chat with us about the current state of Alberta politics. So, without further ado, we're very proud to present a short conversation with the most senior member of the Alberta Legislature, the current MLA for Edmonton Strathcona, the former Premier of Alberta, and the leader of the current opposition in the Alberta Legislature, Rachel Notley. So if it's okay, we'll just kind of jump right in uh, sure. and, and go through there. So first of all, I want to thank you very much for appearing on our, our little program today. 
very much appreciated. Uh, I'd like to start with a, a bit of a, a serious question. We'll do some word association. Um, so if I was, to, you, you grew up in Northern Alberta. Mm-hmm. So if I was to say the words Main Street, Fairview, and ping pong balls, what does that bring to mind for you? Ping pong balls. Wasn't that some kind of shopping thing? That was like, uh, it, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, I've been looking for somebody else who can remember that for like 30 years. They used to drop ping pong balls down Main Street. They did it out of a helicopter and a plane and I think a couple times out of a big truck. Yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, perfect. Okay, good. Um, to, to get into some of the things that I want to talk about today, uh, you were first elected in 2008 to the legislature. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Perfect. So you've been around for, for quite some time in that building. I have, you know, although I will say it's quite weird because I am, in fact, the most senior person in the house in terms of how long I've been there. Not the oldest, just put that out there. But in fact, uh, the one that's been elected the longest, except when I was elected in 2008, it was crazy because they were constantly giving out 15, 20 year pins to people, right? Uh, On the conservative side, there's a whole swack of them that have been there forever. And uh, now that I am, I guess it's been uh, coming, it's been a little over 12 years that I've been there. The fact that I am the most senior person there goes to, I think, speak to uh, a lot of the the volatility and the the changes uh, in our political culture. Um, But yeah, so yeah, uh, 12 years. With that being said, and and especially, I I didn't realize that you were the most senior member, so this this adds an extra layer of context. one of the concerns that a lot of people have been expressing is the overall tone in the legislature. Uh, one of Mr. Kenny's promises in the last election was that he was going to restore decorum to the legislature. And between using the windows of the legislature as, as billboards, uh, as well as the behavior that's going on inside of the legislature, it's one of the concerns that I have is that it's it's very easy to go, Ah, this is the worst I've ever seen it, but it's very easy to be in the moment. So as as somebody who's been in the legislature for for going on almost 13 years now, um, is it that bad and have you seen it worse? Um... Yeah, so lots of stuff that's that's sort of embedded in that question. Um, I would say um, that it's, uh, you know, in some ways it's better. Let me just say this uh, compared to 2008, uh, because the opposition is stronger. And I think that's good for government. And that actually, in some ways, didn't start with us. I mean, the world rose strangely when, when, the, when the conservatives split the group that that came up, that sort of severed off of them uh, had the confidence, I guess, of having been in government. Bear in mind, the rest of us were all sort of looking at this government that was 40 years old. Um, and they kind of were pretty punchy and strong opposition. I would argue that we are also a strong opposition. So to the extent that you want to see the government really uh, take a, a held to account, I would argue that in some ways it's a bit better. However, there's lots of ways to argue that it's nowhere nearly as good. And, and I would argue that that is mostly because the, uh, the UCP has used its majority uh, so they've done sort of superficial things and they've said, oh, you know, you can't pound on the desks anymore. Well, that's lovely. 
But at the same time, they then use their majority to completely rewrite the standing orders, which historically were done in all party committees, where there was a quite a lot of work put into getting consensus on all the members first. Uh, maybe you didn't fully get consensus, but there was quite a lot of work put into it to instead just walking in with a, the biggest single rewrite of the standing orders ever, never ran it by the opposition. Uh, I think they gave us like an hour's notice or something, and then voted it through with uh, uh, by putting closure in the debate. And they completely changed the rules of the House. And so uh, they have um, uh, exploited their majority in a way that I've never seen before, which undermines the, the value of the, the legislature, the parliament, uh, the, the, you know, the democratic um, platform that we've all been elected to operate in. And so that has created a, a tremendous level of frustration that didn't exist before. The other thing uh, that they have done, which in my experience is brand new, is they just have a profound uh, willingness to lie. Um, and so, you know, whereas I was revisiting with, uh, with uh, uh, some colleagues uh, about how eight or nine years ago, I remember doing this long legalistic uh, challenge point of privilege when there was one contradiction that was revealed between the then health minister, Jean Zwadeski, and a leaked health document from cabinet. And I did a whole point of privilege because he said something to the legislature that wasn't true. Now it happens about nine times a day. And, and nobody, uh, it's, it's the speaker doesn't care. And uh, it's just is what it is. And it's unparliamentary to say that someone is lying. The time I did it when they fired the chief, the chief election, uh, the elections commissioner, I was thrown out of the house. The very fact of firing the elections commissioner, a, a, an officer of the legislature, while that person was, um, uh, investigating you is something that I think is actually unprecedented. It's obviously unprecedented in Alberta, but I think it's actually unprecedented in the Commonwealth. Um, and, and so it, again, that, that's a feature of our democratic system. And it was just casually swept away through the abuse of their majority. So with those kinds of things happening, it's the tone has changed. It, it's like Trump has arrived in Alberta. One of the with the, the the Trump piece, one of the other things that has has kind of um, reared its head a little bit that I can't at least remember ever seeing before in the province of Alberta is the use of issues managers and, and press secretaries to aggressively go after uh, private citizens um, who are expressing their opinions on on social media. Have you ever seen that level of chill placed on conversation before from official uh, spokespeople or for from uh, official members of the government? That's a really good question. I would tend to say no. Um, all. Yeah, I have to be, you know, be perfectly frank with you. I think back, you know, we had issue managers, we had press secretaries. Was there ever a sort of an Ezra Levant-esque kind of person that was saying things on Twitter where um, people that that we had responded to it, you know, and then, you know, and, and I would say, well, that's different because, you know, Ezra Levant is sort of a, who he is. Um, but then again, you know, that's very subjective. And, and so, um, but, but I will say, yeah, it, it, it does occur to me for sure. We've had situations where there are, I can think of some women uh, on social media who've been quite aggressively attacked 
by um, by folks. Um, I think Jillian Ratty, for instance, um, and um, you're right. I think they're far more aggressive on it than they have been in the past. I think, uh, honestly, you know, the uh, social media sphere when we were in government as well, um, the sort of th uh, threatening and, and uh, approach that you sometimes saw against our government from um, so-called people on social media, and I'm not entirely sure that that because uh, a lot of them sort of disappeared when our government disappeared. So, um, so the tone has changed. What what that really reflects is the importation of the kind of Steve Bannon esque uh, strategies and tactics that that uh, um, you see south of the border. I think that's what you really you're seeing. And so I'm sorry, I'm going on in a long way. Like, I like the idea of conversation, you know, and debate. And, and I will say this, uh, you know, you started beginning talking about uh, Fairview. I grew up in Fairview. Uh, as your parents may have told you, my dad actually never won by more than like his biggest landslide was when he won by 800 votes. And typically he would won, win by under 200. So I grew up in an environment of having to sort of uh, defend uh, my dad and defend our politics. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having a good conversation and a, a good debate about politics and policy. Um, and I think it's healthy. And I will say that that uh, when I went away for, for school and for work, both to Ontario and then to BC, I was um, uh, happily, uh, I was impressed with how much more uh, involved and evolved the political conversation was and saddened by how uh, unlikely people in Alberta were to engage in conversation. And so I think the growth in political debate in Alberta is actually, although painful, um, good for our political culture. However, I think we have to remain focused on issues uh, that we are debating and we have to move away and, and, and defend against personal attacks, um, uh, in, except in the rarest of cases, because otherwise we're not going to get to the right answers. With the, the, that in mind, one of the, the conversations that has sort of happened to the side, and, and certainly there's been no shortage of larger issues uh, for, for people to be talking about, uh, but one of the conversations that has been happening to the side is the whole conversation around the tone that this government seems to have taken towards relationships with First Nations people uh, and as well with truth and reconciliation. We saw this uh, on the beginning of last weekend where a certain executive issues manager to the premier uh, may have tweeted out a thread that was effectively a denial of the, the term genocide being used towards First Nations people. Um, that got the, the hashtag Fire Mount Wolf trending uh, in the number one position on Saturday night. And that was no small part in re because of the reaction of First Nations peoples to, to the statements that he made. Do you think that Matt Wolf and the, the issues managers and the press secretaries that, that throw out these incredibly inflammatory comments are doing that as a distractory piece or is it actually representative of what this government believes? I think it's both. I think it's both. I think uh, obviously, you know, you go back to to uh, um, the um, fellow uh, who was appointed to to review our curriculum. You you look at uh, uh, the fellow who was writing uh, Jason Kenney's speeches. Um, you know, both of these people have articulated absolutely a 
abhorrent positions when it comes to um, uh, the uh, history of, uh, of First Nations people in this country. Um, and so obviously that's inherent in, in who they are and, and, and what they believe. I also think, however, that you are exactly right, that what they are doing is they are playing a game of distraction and division on, uh, on issues to, to get people fired up so that they don't think about the thing that's actually really making them angry, which is the fact that uh, they either don't have a job or if they do have a job, they're not making as much as they once did, or uh, if they have a job and they're, you know, uh, they're worried about losing their job. And Jason Kenney's plan is actually making people's uh, um, uh, stability, employment stability, more precarious. Um, he's making wealthy people more wealthy, and he's generating far uh, more uncertainty for the vast majority of Albertans in terms of their economic security. And he doesn't want people to think about that. And so because people are angry, and we know that from when we were in government, people in Alberta are going through a, a, a generational shift. We in our, in our province have have felt that you know we would always do well uh, because we were a very wealthy, prosperous province, and the majority, not all, we all know that, but 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 the majority of Albertans uh, could find a way to do well. And because of uh, the shift in the way the oil and gas industry works and all the other things, that's not the case anymore. And so people are genuinely angry and frustrated and scared. It was that way when we were in government. It's still that way. What's happening, though, is that Jason Kenney is not addressing that issue front and center. He's not saying, I'm the leader. I know it's my job to make you feel more secure. I know it's my job to make you more secure um, and, and to generate job creation and to do actual economic growth. And so here's what we're going to work on. Instead of doing that, they're throwing stuff out. To, to create false enemies and, and mostly irrelevant conversations to distract people who are angry and scared. And it's irresponsible. With that being said, one of the, and I know we have only a little bit more time, so I'm going to try to jam a couple of things in quick. Um, but with that being said, one of the frustrations that a lot of people are expressing is the fact that to some people's perceptions, the UCP is doing very significant damage, not only to the healthcare system through their existing cuts, uh, as well as the, the announced rollbacks to wages, the, the tone that they've taken with negotiations with physicians. There's, I could go on for a long time, but I think you get the point. Um, one of the, the, the questions that the people I've seen people asking is, is this damage reversible? Uh, and if so, is, does, does your party have a plan to sort of mitigate all of the, the damage that not only the UCP have done directly, but the province has experienced because of, of, of COVID uh, and the economic downturn and list and list and list and list? Well, that's an awfully large question. Uh, <laughs> but yes, uh, in, in, I mean... Listen, there, there are a number of things that are that are challenging Albertans, both external and internal, some of which are within our control, many of which are not within our control. So within that larger context, uh, yes, first of all, um, uh, you know, 
uh, I would urge everybody to go to our website, albertasfuture.ca, because there, um, because I don't have enough time to go through this, but there is actually about a 15 minute uh, speech that I give that gives the large overview of how, uh, what our view is with respect to public services, what our view is with respect to people who are employed in the public service, what our view is with respect to economic recovery, and what our view is with respect to fiscal management, and 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 what the values are that drive all those things. And, and, and I would urge people to go to albertasfuture.ca because it is there. Uh, that being said, um, I do believe that there is a way to uh, restabilize and, and support uh, our public health care system, and in fact, to improve it, as well as with our education system, as well as with other many important services that uh, our public service provides to Albertans. I do actually think that there's a path forward in terms of economic diversification and ultimately economic growth and prosperity. I will say this, though. I do think that the window is starting to close, and there is an opportunity for us to use the resources we still have, which frankly are actually still quite considerable, uh, to, to uh, stimulate the economy and kickstart the kind of um, uh, diversification that we have the resources to succeed at. And by resources, I'm referring to human beings. If we look backwards for the next five or 10 years, and if we try to recreate Ralph Klein's Alberta from 1993, uh, we will lose the people, the humans that are going to lead our province into the next level and the next stage of economic prosperity. And, and so we need to focus on people, we need to focus on education, we need to focus on diversification, we need to focus on innovation, and we need to understand that the government has a role to play in all those things. Uh, and that is the opposite of what Jason Kenney is doing. And the problem is, is that the, the consequence of allowing his backward sort of his backwards looking, I don't mean to say backward in a, you know, in a pejorative way, but backwards looking approach um, is that the door closes and I hear it squeaking close when I watch him continue to try the same old tired strategies that clearly aren't working and and that squeaking close it's in the back of my brain and i'm a little worried and and we need to to um you know stop that thank you so much for your time uh really really appreciate it and if you have any recommendations on where to get a good deal on a bob the angry flower t-shirt um i would <laughs> love an email <laughs> I will. Uh, I will ask uh, Stephen. I haven't seen him do T-shirts in a really long time. Neither have I. That's why I'm trying to find one. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I will ask. I will put in the awesome. request. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. -bye. Bye. It's been about a year and a half since we started up this little experiment that we call The Breakdown. And while the overriding goal and, and mission statement of our, our little program here is to, to try to demand better from people in positions of power, we have a couple of other smaller goals that we've been sort of working our way towards. Um, it's no secret that uh, we have a pretty big problem with the way that a lot of issues managers uh, behave themselves on the Twitter machine. We see a lot of issues managers stepping forward and saying some really offensive things. They say a lot of misleading things uh, and they carry water in the worst way for some of the worst things that this current government is doing. So I just wanted to take a quick second and tell you a little bit about one of my 
personal goals. Um, one of the worst of the worst when it comes to the issues managers is actually the premier's executive issues manager, and that's a guy named Matt Wolf. Now, if you pay any attention to politics on Twitter, you know who Matt Wolf is. Um, he's, he's the same guy who also orchestrated uh, the Jeff Calloway campaign and was feeding information to the Jeff Calloway campaign. So it's hard to imagine somebody more corrosive and toxic for democracy than this guy. And that's why when we started the Breakdowns Twitter account a year and a half ago, one of the goals that we set was to beat Matt Wolf in the number of people that we reach versus he reaches. Last week, we finally hit that goal. As of today, here is the Breakdowns follower count, and here is Matt Wolf's. Now, we want to be clear, we're not taking a victory lap. We want to say thank you, because more than anything, what this shows to us is that Albertans want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear spin. And we're going to try to continue to do our best to make sure that not only we're providing as much accurate information as possible, but that we continue to see that gap in follower count only grow. That's the end of this episode. Now, this would normally be the part of the show where we plug our Patreon page, but we're making a few changes, so we wanted to sort of take a second to explain those. First of all, for our current Patreon supporters, we just want to say a huge thank you. We really appreciate your continued support. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do the kind of things that we're doing without you, so thank you very much. To that end, we've actually upgraded the merch that's available through the Patreon page, and once your uh, subscriptions have lasted a certain amount of time, you're going to start to get stuff mailed directly to you. You can go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash thebreakdownab and check all of that stuff out. But we are also going to be spending the month of November and a little bit of December doing a bit of a membership drive. Now, there's no secret that COVID numbers are going through the roof. And unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation out there about mask use. So we want to try to do our little bit to encourage people to wear masks, but at the same time, maybe get a few more subscribers to our page. Now, in order to tell you about that, we've enlisted the help of one of the show's longtime friends, the Not Premier of Alberta, Mr. Not Jason Kenney, and he's going to explain a little bit to you. Yeah, I, uh, I said I'd do this, but I'm, I'm not going to... I'm not going to wear this. I don't wear masks for photo shoots. Mr. Kenny, we, we had a deal. We will be getting you the, uh, the McDonald's, the, the French fries, and the shake after this. But you got to hold up your hand here. Okay, okay fine. I'll, I'll put the mask on. But I want to be really clear. I'm not going to tell Albertans that they have to wear masks. I'm not the, the kind of guy who tells anyone what they have to do unless they're physicians, public sector employees, um, or unions, um, but everybody else, I'm just going gonna, gonna to ask, please, uh, please wear a mask and buy one of these, I guess. Mr. Mr. Kenny, I'm just going to have to ask you to just put the mask, it has, it has to cover your nose, your nose too. It, it, it won't go, I can't, I can't do it. Mr. Kenny, I understand that, that you view this as, a, as a, a photo shoot or a photo opportunity and you're not accustomed to wearing masks when you're doing these PR events, but if you want the fries, you're going to have to. Happy now? 
So just to tell you a little bit more about these masks, they are locally printed by an amazing company called The Big Stake. Uh, it's a small startup company for graphic design and merchandise. If you're in the market for that kind of stuff, you should definitely check them out. We Huge thanks to friend of the show, Edwin, for setting us up with these. Um, and uh, if you want to get one for yourself, then please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab and sign up to be a monthly supporter. Um, for just the price of a cup of coffee, you can sign up for as little as $5 a month. Uh, we'll send you one of these masks, but you also get the satisfaction of knowing that you're helping us to create the kind of content that we do uh, in the way that we do it. Uh, Mr. Kenny, did you have anything else that you wanted to add? I hate you so much. Um, and uh, we've got a lot of... Uh, just petered right out there. It was like momentum and then like... oh. Yeah. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, a little while back. Let's do that again. And Alberta is unique in the way that they that we do things. Let me do that again. This little experiment called the the breakdown. And fundamentally, the goal the let me do that again because I burped. Now to, this would be the normally that's the end of this episode. Now this for our Patreon sub, our supporters. Damn it! Damn it! Oh, there's bird poop. Now, uh, for our current Patreon prayers, wire words hard. But we want to try to get a little bit more, a few, a little bit more people. Mm. Patreon.com slash the breakdown AB. I'm going to burp in the middle of this and ruin the whole take. That's what's going to happen. Created by a, or designed. One of these days I'm just going to smack the poo and hate myself. <laughs>